Let me whisk you away to a magical time, circa 2001, when the first Potter movie came out. It was a time of myth and legend where a child could explore fantasy without the intersection of adults and their twisted fantasies. This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly. A time when Harry Potter could fly around on his broomstick before Dumbledore was gay and when the banks may or may not be staffed with anti-Semitic tropes. What exactly are these things? A time before the neo-Marxist woke takeover. Before we fought racial injustice by looting targets in fiery but mostly peaceful protests. Back before Drag Queen Story Hour. Before we heard the word, gender is nothing more than a social construct. Excuse me, it's ma'am. It is ma'am. But you must adhere to this social construct or face the wrath of the pronoun brigade. Back then, butchering children based upon feelings was unthinkable. Those were the days. In those days, you might have been able to get away with sitting back and letting the world descend into madness, but now the stakes are too high, and moral courage in the face of these atrocities is required. The emotional blackmail mob knows that the courageous are waking up, and that's why there's such a backlash to Potter and to conservatives who have the wherewithal to stand. There's pressure to cave as far as the halls of Anheuser-Busch and, of course, upon Daniel Radcliffe himself. That's right, Harry Potter has become the latest victim of extortion, and he's fallen for the line, we must issue forth tolerance, and all people who disagree with that tolerance are deplorable, racist, fascist, and transphobes, and they need to go away. Oh, the tolerance. And that's why Daniel Radcliffe just recently took part in a short film over at The Trevor Project. But there are also people who do have like a slightly condescending but well-meaning attitude of like, well, people are young and like, how do we, you know, that is a huge decision. I'd love to hear from all of you about like why we can trust kids to like tell us who they are. Well, Daniel, put aside the fact that most adults don't even know who they are. And uh, we have this idea that perhaps maybe we shouldn't listen to a child tell us who they are since they're just wrecking balls, especially when they're only seven or eight or nine or 10. And we have this clip from the Trevor Project as well, where it's just a bridge too far to subject these decisions to the horrors of parents praying for their children because that's, quote, intense. Me telling my mom any type of me being different was like, oh my God, like literally she called my grandma and they prayed over me. I was like seven. <laughs> I was that's like intense. seven. And so double mastectomies and chemical castration, that's not a bridge too far. That's just self-discovery. But prayer, <laughs> why has Daniel Potter bowed the knee? And is he really foolish enough to think that a child should go through these horrific surgeries? Is he really so afraid of the leftist mob and their magical powers of cancellation that his self-preservation instincts have kicked in? Some conservatives think so. They extract your compliance through threat and force. And that is exactly how the LGBT mob operates. But I think that misses an extremely important point. No one is really afraid of the limp-wristed, screaming banshees who don beards and dresses. There couldn't be a less threatening group of people in the history of the world. The woke mob demands obeisance, but they don't do it like the mobsters of old. They don't do it with force. Unlike Don Corleone, this mob doesn't make an offer you can't refuse. Because if you don't, they'll put a horse head in your bed. This mob makes you an offer you can't refuse because it's too good to be true. 
for those who are moral cowards. For the low, low price of sacrificing truth and integrity, you'll be able to purchase unearned virtue and credibility that in the past only came through hard work, diligent study, and personal sacrifice. Harry Potter isn't bowing the knee for self-preservation but self-promotion. Can you remember the last time Daniel Radcliffe was in a movie of any substance? Plenty of actors are doing perfectly fine without selling out to the LGBTQ mob, but some actors are so gutless and spineless that their career demands some jolt of energy to make them socially relevant again. Or could it be that HBO just greenlit a new Potter series and they wish to welcome the trans mob back into the fold? If so, one has to ask, is the legacy of this series destined to become that of the gender-fluid Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Amazon Rings of Dower? More like women are second-class citizens, right? The real question is, do we recognize the need for not selling out, and will we refuse to support the things that create a deluded and dangerous world for you and our kids? Will you have the courage to correctly define courage? Because sure, Daniel Radcliffe is paying a cost, but it doesn't make him courageous. It's just costing him self-respect. Even Christians in the present who should be the most courageous are selling out their God and their Bibles when they say things like, I'm pro-life and pro-choice because I respect a woman's right to choose. All of that so that they can win some meaningless street cred from people who hate their God and hate the Bible. And doing so at the expense of sitting on the fence on issues of life and death. Those Christians are paying a price too but it's their kids who are really gonna pay that price. So being courageous doesn't mean just paying a price. It means paying a price for what is right. And more is demanded of this generation for all of us. It's only now that we need courage more than in recent memory because the stakes are so high and we need people of courage to show that it's not just paying a price, but it's paying a price for the truth is how we change the world. And that's what we'll see in our top stories today. Thanks for watching the show today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, don't forget to check out today's show sponsor. Our friends over at Element Home Loans can help you get pre-approved for a home today. The team over at the Kevin Blair team with Element Home Loans is not only a top-notch, incredibly talented team, but they also care about integrity and they care about the things that you care about. Most importantly, they care about helping you secure your family's financial future, especially in turbulent financial times. I was just speaking with Kevin about this, and in fact, we were talking about renovation loans, how you can invest in the real estate market by getting a renovation loan where you can flip a house and make some extra bank by renovating that house. Now, all of that is too technical for me. That's why you need an expert. It's probably too technical for you. So that's why you need to go to kbmtg.com today to support this great business, but also to support your own financial future. So again, go to kbmtg.com today and let them know that IndieThinker sent you. And with courage being the theme of the show today, I want to bring you to something that happened last week. Ron DeSantis signed a six-week abortion ban in his home state of Florida. And of course, conservatives and people who actually like living human beings have celebrated everywhere, but that hasn't stopped the left and the Democrats from decrying this bill as fascist. I'm 
sure racist and somehow transphobic. Uh, but but more importantly, Nikki Fried has come out to politicize yet another thing for her own personal gain and said that Republicans don't actually know what women want, which is, of course, hilarious because Democrats don't even know what a woman actually is. But I'll at least superficially agree with the left on this one that there are some problems with the bill. It's only not what they think the problems are. So first of all, it's not restricting enough because we should restrict any human being's rights to murder another human being, right? Because that's kind of not what the Constitution was for. But also, it, it, uh, it doesn't acknowledge the actual science behind the issue of, of abortion, right? Because those who wish to go up to the third trimester and suggest that until the baby comes out of the magical vaginal canal, it's not really a baby— are, are running into consistent problems when they try to come up with the idea that religious conservatives are the ones who are trying to infuse their Bible and shove their religion down our throat when they tell us not to murder living human beings. Well, in a way you are correct, thou shalt not murder is kind of a religious thing, but also let's just also get scientific because the faith it definitely coheres with the science yet again on this one. And that is that once you have brand new DNA, is you have a, a brand new human life, right? Now, I'm going to throw up for you kind of a representation of this on the screen here because I want, to, I want to show you this because we need to face the facts and the reality on the ground of what we're actually looking at when we look at a baby in the womb. So you can use whatever euphemistic language you want. You can call it a fetus if you want. But the reality is, is this is what a baby looks like at six weeks. You've got a heartbeat, you've got ears forming, you've got arm buds and leg buds forming, and you even have uh, the eye sockets coming through. So the question is, is why six weeks if this is a baby instead of, instead of f five weeks or instead of just banning abortion altogether? And it brings us back to the conversation that we have to have, which is where does a human life actually begin? Well, it begins scientifically when a new strand of DNA is formed. See, that thing growing inside of a woman's belly isn't a tumor like the left wants to suggest. The thing in the uterus is not a baby. That's what I was trying to say. It's just a clump of cells. It's a tumor. Last time I checked, I haven't seen tumors that emerge eventually once they get to the right size uh, with the ability to think and to will and to act and to potentially change the world. No tumors to date have done such a thing, but babies have. Now, so part of the problem with the bill is that it's a six-week ban on abortion rather than a, just a total ban on abortion. And then there is, a, of course, a caveat for rape and incest. This is nothing less than kind of a political nod to the, to the, the more kind of centrist voters in the state of Florida to just say, hey, well, we'll make some exceptions in the case of incest. But again, we come back to this very fundamental question, when does life begin and what is actually a life? Because if we agree that life begins at conception, even if a baby is the byproduct of incest or a baby is the byproduct of rape, it doesn't give you the right to kill it. In fact, the person who is to blame it, by creating a baby as a result of rape is actually the rapist. And it doesn't mean that you get to charge the rapist and then also charge the baby with the death penalty. And so if we're going to have the kind of courage that is necessary on this issue to also have the courage to be intellectually honest, we're going to have to admit that uh, that a baby in the womb, use whatever euphemistic language you want, you can call it a fetus, you can call it a choice, but it's still a baby. And we need to have the courage to stand up for what is right, because there is also a price for doing what is wrong. But I'll just say this, 
Most importantly, although there are those issues with the bill, I will say the one thing that kept me from really jumping on the DeSantis bandwagon was just this very issue, because in his own home state, he didn't have rigorous enough laws against abortion. In fact, his state had just deferred to what was on the books before the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and it was only now that Ron DeSantis stepped up and decided to make a decisive action in this area. Now, for one, I am glad. I'm glad that he's a Christian standing up for moral principles, but, but I'm also glad that he's also a Christian standing up for moral principles because it is reasonable, logical, and protects another life. If the government is supposed to do anything, and I know this is going to fly in the face of some of my libertarians, but you guys can go back to just watching online porn um, without restrictions whatsoever uh, for just a moment here and and just just hold up and, and just let me make this argument to, to the others out there and just say, if the government is supposed to do anything, it is supposed to protect life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It is supposed to ensure protection for its citizens. It's one of the most basic functions of the government. It's not an excuse for Joe Biden to go find ice cream. The the basic role of government is to protect its citizens. And this is true of those in the womb and outside of the, the womb. Now, I will just give Ron some credit here because him taking this step was ap- was actually actually not necessary from a political standpoint. See, Ron didn't necessarily need to do this. I, I don't think so. If he was just merely politicking, while there is politics in the bill, as I just illustrated with some of the concessions, while there is politics there, I, I also realize that Ron DeSantis potentially is going to announce any day now his run for for president. And when he does so, this is something that's going to be held against him by the left. This is going to be yet more fuel, um, more fodder for the left to to go after Ron DeSantis as, as a fascist right-wing loony. Um, so he didn't have to do this, but he did it anyway, showing that he is a man of moral courage that is not just merely interested in politics, but is actually doing what is right for his constituents. And that, my friend, regardless of what you heard from Joy Reid or MSNBC or anybody else over at CNN, is something that you should take into account, even if you're on the left. Now, I might be delusional to believe that anybody up to this point in time is a leftist or a liberal and is still watching this show, but allow me to delude myself one step further and just say this, that if you really care about truth, then you should care about a candidate who is not putting politics before people, and this is exactly what this six-week abortion ban does, is it puts people before politics, and for that, I say... I am grateful for Ron DeSantis for saving lives, but also I I have to say this. It is an example of what true courage looks like in the present. And to go a little bit further, to show you the opposite of that, I want to show you what just took place at a Franklin, Tennessee City Council. Now, on the heels of a trans activist killing six people and on the heels of two weeks of of trans violence and trans radicalism that swept the streets of America and, and in Canada where people were attacked, it's important to note that Franklin, the Franklin City Council was willing to sack up and was willing to have the boldness to discuss whether or not in light of what just took place in neighboring Nashville, if they should go forward with a pride parade, which in the past has been accused of being incredibly radical and incredibly sexually explicit and more. And so the Franklin City Council developed not only a, a a session on whether or not this pride parade thing should should still go on, which, by the way, just seems that 
Every day is now Pride Parade for for these people. June is they don't need just June; they need every single week of every single year to celebrate Pride in some way. But nonetheless, so should this Pride Parade go on, and should there be this decency measure, which essentially just says this: that if there is any parades that go on in the city, wink, wink, you LGBTQ people, because you're the only ones we have to worry about. There can't be any sexually explicit material. There can't be any uh, simulated sex acts. There can't be men going around shaking their naked rears in the face of small children as you wave pride flags in their crying faces. None of that should be be happening at these city parades. If you're going to use city spaces, has some freaking common decency. So the city council voted on all of that, but there was one concerned citizen who came to speak out on behalf of the LGBTQ community, and this is what they had to say. Ashley Webster, and I live in Franklin, and um, these are my children. They're both gay. They grew up here. They went to school here. And they love Franklin, but they're very disappointed at what's going on here now. And I would like to ask, where have you been? Drag has been going on since the days of Shakespeare plays. (laughs) And pride festivals have been going on since 1970. I was born in 69. You guys, probably some of you guys were born in the 60s too. Uh, You've been to Bourbon Street in New Orleans, walk down the street. My parents warned me when they took me to New Orleans, to Berlin Street, that there might be some nakedness coming through, that I would be able to see through the open doorways of the bars, and that if I didn't want to see it, I should just turn my head. So I don't know how all of this got started in the past couple of years, but you guys, Franklin Pride Festival is one of the softest Pride Festivals. Thank you. Because I've been to a real one. Thank you, concerned citizen. Where do these people come from? I mean, honestly, I I would love to go back myself to the days where like the 80-year-old man came to talk about his culvert at a city council meeting or maybe kind of how fast people are driving in his neighborhood as opposed to to this radical nutcasery at city council meetings. Nonetheless, it just shows that there is an obligation for actual parents to stand up at these things. But a couple of things about this conversation here, um, or this diatribe I might suggest, uh, is it's awfully odd momming, right, that this woman was able to produce two gay kids in her family. She's got two kids, both of them are gay. That's statistically odd, wouldn't you say? It's almost as if a lot of this stuff is a social contagion. I'd encourage you to check out the stats and the data on rapid onset gender dysphoria, which was originally investigated at Brown University and was quickly canceled and shut down because it was too truthy. Now, nonetheless, I submit that to you for your own independent thinking, but there's also more to tackle in this specific issue. Drag queens have been around forever. This is an argument that I have heard consistently ad nauseum ad infinitum, about as long as the LGBTQ acronym goes on and on. So like until like infinity and beyond. Thank you, Buzz Lightyear, gay kiss. So uh, so this is, I've heard this so, so many times and it's, and it's actually totally 100% ridiculous. So the reason people in Shakespeare's time were dressing as women up on stage was not to perform in drag and certainly not to do so, so that they could flaunt sexual promiscuity in the face of children. This is not actually what was taking place. In fact, back then, 
It was a patriarchal society, and women weren't allowed to perform on stage. Only men could, so men had to play the roles of women by dressing up like women. They weren't glorifying transgenderism, and they were not glorifying drag. In fact, transgenderism is a relatively new phenomenon. It wasn't until the early 70s where uh, homosexuality was actually not considered a mental illness. And by the way, for those of you who are keeping track, uh, to date, they it's still gender dysphoria is still a mental illness, and it's uh, it's registered by the APA. So, nonetheless, all all to say this that drag queens have been around forever is ridiculous. So, if you want to bring patriarchy back, we can do that, and then we can have a male dominated society rather than the matriarchal society we have now, where the fathers are, if they're in the home, they are completely passive aggressive and aren't by and large parenting their children the way they're supposed to. The parent, the the mother, is just really doing that. Uh, but we can go back to a patriarchal society where women didn't even have the right to appear on stage if that's really what you want. But somehow I would bet that that's not actually what you're really after at the end of the day. Um, so more often when we see men dressing up in drag, as in Miss and Mrs. Doubtfire, they're not actually dressing up in drag. They're actually mocking drag. They're They're not doing it because they actually believe that men can be women and women can be men and that these uh, cultural norms that we have in society that attempt to try to convey social realities and objective truths, that they're not just bucking convention. They're just, they're simply making fun of the fact that a man can be a woman. It's a ridiculous notion, actually, if you think about it. So it didn't, doesn't take us that long to go back in history to realize that the vast majority of people believed such a thing, but now most people lack the actual courage to to say that they they know that to be the reality. But the, more importantly, beyond that debate that we've heard over and over and over again, I think it's very interesting what we hear at the end of this diatribe. Because once again, here we have the LGBTQ community coming out of the closet. And when they do so, they bring bats with them to beat everybody over the head and to threaten them. Because maybe you caught it. At the end of her statement, she talks about as a child, when she went to Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras, and her parents told her, hey, if you just see nakedness, just turn your head. Um, and then before she walks away, she said, I've been to real pride parades. What we do here in Franklin is very soft. So there's an implicit threat there. There's, there's this implicit threat of, hey, if you think we're bad now, just wait. You do anything we don't like, and we'll really come after you. Again, on the heels of what happened in Nashville with six people being killed at a Christian school, I think the threats could stop for just three seconds, trans activists and LGBTQ activists. I think we could we could stop with that because it sounds like what you're actually saying is those six people that are dead, that's just the tip of the iceberg if you don't give us our, our, our way. And certainly it sounds like at least this individual is saying, hey, you don't like what we're shoving in your kid's face now? It could be way worse. But I love the the remedy here, the prescription by this concerned citizen, which is essentially just this. You don't like what you see at these pride parades? You don't like men in gimp costumes with their nipple piercings, shoving their naked rears in people's faces? Uh, you don't like men pretending to be women wearing dresses? You don't like the suggestion uh, for the kids that are the, the, the most impressionable among us that there is no such thing as a man or a woman. It's all just what you felt that day. It's kind of like what you uh, putting your socks on. Whatever you choose, that's what you are. Because, because that's what is implicit in all of these celebrations, if not explicit in all of these celebrations. And the remedy for that is turn your head. 
Just turn your head. You don't like it? Just just turn your head. No, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I think about that. I actually like my city. I don't live in Franklin, but I, but I like the city I live in. So if you said the same about me and said, hey, pride people, we're just going gonna, gonna to take over your city streets. And if you don't like it, just turn your head. I'm just going to say, no, I like my city streets and I like the city that, that I live in. And I actually care about what happens in it. And so rather than just turning our heads and you just, we just allowing you to do whatever you want to do, which is a recipe for disaster in almost any other area of life that you could possibly think of. You know, you know, just turn your head if you don't like this obscenity. Like, that is a recipe for disaster. But, but, I, but I have a, a separate suggestion. Rather than as you just take over our city streets and do whatever you want to do, how about you just be a good person? How about we have a conversation about what that actually looks like instead of you suggesting that we just turn the, the heads of our small children and cover their eyes because yet you've decided on another day that you just want to occupy as your own, that you get to do whatever you want to in our city streets. No, how about this? How about we go back to real democracy and not just laissez-faire liberalism on steroids where you get to do whatever you want to do? How about we go back to a conversation about whether or not what you're doing is good? and whether or not it's good for kids. I somehow doubt that this individual is, is interested in anything other than just getting their way based upon their suggestion. I've seen real pride parades. Well, go back to Bourbon Street, sister, but you can stay out of Franklin. And then finally, we'll come to our final segment today. It's time for Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. If you've been following on the show last week, you'll know that I put Justin Pearson's homily, his his great sermon on, on display for everyone to see where he talks about his black Jesus. Justin Pearson, of course, is one of the infamous couple, the Tennessee Three, one of the three people who were under investigation, I guess you might say, or at least just house um, disciplinary action when the legislative body in Tennessee decided to take these three lawmakers and hold them accountable for what they did by assisting, aiding, and abetting a violent and radical protest that took place in the Tennessee state capitol. Now, Justin Pearson is the cosplayer uh, du jour among these three. Of course, all of them are trying to milk this for all of its worth for their own personal gain. Now, before I get into kind of what Justin Pearson just recently did in his latest homily, I just want to say something about the idea of, of fame and how ubiquitous it is in the present because social media has, and things like American Idol, has convinced everybody that they deserve some place of prominence and people are willing to create that fame any which way they can they can find it. Would you know who Justin Pearson was if he didn't just act incredibly, uh, incredibly shamefully and uh, irresponsibly at the Tennessee State Capitol and then was propped up as a hero by the media? Would you even know who this person was? So I guess all I'm saying is this, is that there's an incentive structure for victimization, and there's an incentive structure to do ridiculous things in the present because it grants you unearned superiority of sorts. And here we have Justin Pearson making the rounds and uh, becoming famous, and perhaps I'm even aiding and abetting in his unearned fame by talking about him, but I think it's important to take notice of these things. So I want to show you Justin Pearson giving us his latest sermon and doing so in the most ridiculous way where I think we can all tell that the act is getting a little old. So here is Justin Pearson, Reverend Pastor 
Justin Pearson giving us his sermon. Well, y'all, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I, I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Would, would you mind going ahead and praying with me now, Mother God, Creator God, loving God, holy God, take this, your servant made from dust and connect it with the raw materials of stardust to speak in this moment, to say something that brings forward the word you've placed into my heart. I accept my unworthiness for such a task as bold as this and I seek your guidance as you use me and speak through me. To the ancestor preachers who made sermons from hymns, moans, and groans, and spirituals from the bondage of slavery, speak now through this your descendant. I mean, what do you make of the fact that this guy declares that Jesus is black, that God is his mother, and that we're all made of stardust, like whatever that even means, um, and doing this all within the context of religion? Well, I, I think this is what you have to say about this, is that what we're watching is not any form of Christianity that could be recognized by any self-respecting Christian, but what we're watching right in front of our face is actually the byproduct of postmodern religion, of postmodernism and postmodern enlightenment religion. See, there was this idea in the Enlightenment that true enlightenment equals atheism, is there anybody who actually believes that nonsense anymore? Hopefully by now we can see in front of our eyes that actually the eradication of authentic Christian religion in the present has created a religion in its place, but it's the religion of wokeism and it's doing things like what you just saw, not to mention also mutilating small children in gender clinics. And for those of you who still resist basic facts, it's not hard for you to find that about 200 kids each year in America from 13 to 17 have double mastectomies, and that number is on the rise since 2022. We've been charting how many double mastectomies have been taking place in young girls' lives from 13 to 17, and like I said, started off around 200, to then went around 230, and was in the 270s last, uh, last year, and then this year, who, who knows? as this proliferation of this religion begins to spread. So the, the religion that's replaced Christianity very often in, in America and abroad who have partaken in kind of the enlightenment idea that, that enlightenment ultimately equals atheism are, are neglecting a couple of obvious basic facts beyond just biology. And one of them is this, is that when you separate reason and faith, when you suggest, as the Enlightenment did, that science and faith can't actually cohabitate, they're antithetical to each other, when you create that idea, all you do is you separate reason and faith, and you don't eradicate religion, but you create this kind of buffoonish religion that you just saw in front of your face. You create a religion that is unmoored from any rational thought. And that's exactly what we just saw with Mother God, we're made from stardust. Like, what is he even talking about except he's just pandering to a group of people because he's milking his fame for everything it's worth. So I think he's putting on a play. I think it's really clear whenever you see him, he is, uh, he's, he's playing a part. He wants to be this civil rights leader in the present as though civil rights issues in the present are anything what they were in the past, but he wants to channel 1960s civil rights leaders. Um, so it's clear he's playing a part, but he's also not just playing a part. He's also revealing the repercussions of secular ideology when it pertains to religion, because you can't actually suppress the religious impulse inside of people. There's a Bible verse, and it says this, and Justin Pearson would do well to actually crack open his Bible 
where he'd find that masculine pronouns and masculine identity is given to God because that is what God wishes to associate himself with. But he would also find this verse, that eternity is written in the hearts of, of men. And by the way, you don't have to say a men and a women because women are included in that statement, men. So eternity is written in the hearts of all mankind, of every single human being. So we all crave eternity. We all crave meaning. We all crave permanence and, des- and desire to know that our lives are, that they matter all of that. And and so there is a religious impulse created and embedded inside of the heart of human of human man. And and you can't suppress that. So as much as the atheist enlightenment crowd has tried to prescribe uh, scientific naturalism as an operating philosophy, even that has, in a sense, turned into a religion. So religion has not been eradicated. It has just created this new kind of pseudo-religion. And it's, and it's pre- provided us this, this understanding that reason and faith are, are not compatible with each other, which of course just creates silly religion. But of course, that's not true. That if you actually understand the Christian worldview, you understand that reason and faith actually cohabitate with one another. They're different sides of the same coin. And I wouldn't de- that even provides a, a distinction that I think is not even fair. They're, they're hand in glove. They go one with the other. See, we believe in a God who is a historical being. There's data. There's an empty tomb. There's eyewitness accounts and testimony. And of course, I may not be able to convince you to believe all of it right here in this single moment, but please don't make the very foolish mistake that I see so very often in the comments section of suggesting that Christianity, or even religion writ large, is just mere superstitious mythology. That's not true, certainly, of the Christian worldview. There's lots and lots of things called books written about arguments for God from rational basis and arguments written by scientists who show you how creation cries out to us to understand that you're not some random accident. See, the most illogical and ridiculous worldview is that of of people like Richard Dawkins who say the universe is exactly what you would expect it to be, a a universe without a God where there is no good, no evil, just pitiless indifference. But but of course, when the postmodern, enlightenment-minded, kind of woke activist wants to resist Christianity and say it's some stupid, foolish sheep herders religion, and then try to bring up science as a reason for why it cannot be true, they're making a category error there. So reason and faith are certainly compatible with each other, but so are faith and science. But also, let's be clear, faith and science aren't after the same thing. See, science, scientific naturalism, can't actually provide a meta-narrative for life. It can't actually provide you a basis for why you should believe that your life has meaning. It can tell you what you're made of. It cannot tell you why you exist. I say all this to say that when you artificially try to jam science on top of Christianity, what you're doing is making a category error of not understanding that the Bible isn't a science textbook and a science textbook isn't a Bible. The two have different purposes, but they are compatible with each other. And the ultimate reason that I bring that up is that because of the kind of religion that's being created in the present that we see in Justin Pearson, no wonder people are increasingly depressed and increasingly suicidal. They have no meta-narrative for their life. Scientific naturalism will either lead you to the kind of buffoonish religion where you have to separate all reason from it, or will totally separate you from religion altogether and make you think that it's totally worthless. But in the meantime, 
you don't have anything to actually provide meaning, a basis, a foundation for why your life matters and why it has intrinsic value. This is why Christianity is incredibly necessary in the present. And we need more and more Christians to take a stand against the kind of nonsense we hear from Justin Pearson and try to help people come to a greater sense, a greater understanding and appreciation for what Christian faith actually has in store for each and every one of us, what it actually says. I want to close with just this quick story. Neville Chamberlain was the famous coward who met with Hitler and then literally said, by the way he shook my hand and the way I talked with him, I knew that Hitler was a good man. And Neville Chamberlain at the time was the prime minister of England, and of course he was removed, and Winston Churchill took his place. And thank God, because Winston Churchill knew and could tell that Hitler was perhaps the greatest threat the world has ever known, and he wasn't... And he wasn't wrong, and so he insisted that England prepare for war. Now, why did he have that kind of courage in the face of Neville Chamberlain's cowardliness? Here's why. Winston Churchill had a sense of divine destiny, and it changed his troubled world. And, more importantly, it can change ours. In order to do it, we're going to have to have a group of people who understand how important religion is and don't just merely throw it away at face value because you've been taught your whole life the unthinking and ridiculous notion that, one, that man doesn't need religion or that true enlightenment means that you run away from it at all cost. Forgive us as Christians for not doing our work and trying to show you the insanity behind that claim, because the truth is, is that more and more we realize as the world shifts further and further away from Christianity, how the aches and pains of secularism are intolerable for us all. And I suggest to you that a return to Christian truth and real Bible study, not with Democrats, can actually lead you to meaning in this life and in the next. But you'll have to think about that for yourself. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and most importantly, Go with God.